I'd like for you to turn to the sixth chapter of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 6. Verse 9 of chapter 6. But beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you, and things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward His name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Mark Twain could say some of the most fantastic things. He said one time, I can live two whole months on one good compliment. He said, even though a pat on the back is just a few uh, vertebras from a kick in the pants, it is miles, a pat in the back is a mile ahead in results. I want to talk to you tonight about the gift of affirmation and say this because I believe it's true that the ability to affirm another person is an act sorely needed and rarely found. Webster defines affirmation or to affirm as a verb that means to validate or to confirm or to uphold another. And, and most of us are better at um, criticizing or correcting than we are complimenting. And most of us are more skilled in finding fault than in finding value. I think we all agree that Abraham Lincoln, what Abraham Lincoln said was right, that, that a drop of honey catches more flies than a gallon of gall. And yet, for most of us, it is easier to find in our pantry a gallon of gall than a drop of honey. It is, a, it is an act that is sorely needed and rarely found. I was reading recently about a group of sociologists doing a paper for a university back east. And they, some of their researchers went out to this school and they just, you know, with their stopwatches and their clipboards. And they just kind of blended in to the furniture in the back of the room and observed this first grade class. Remind me a lot of uh, these little ones, you know, running around. As they watched this first grade class, they found that they were just so fidgety and, and they were up and down and up and down. And every 10 seconds, at least one person was up and moving around in the room. And they were getting it on the stopwatch. And in 20 minute periods of time, they found that these children were up as many as 360 times. And the teacher was saying, sit down. Boys and girls, can't you hear? Now pupils, sit down and be quiet. 
And, and so they, they suggested to the lady, to the teacher, that she increase the number of times that she said sit down and, you know, kind of do it in a little bit harsher voice. And so 27 and a half times in a 20-minute periods, in those 20-minute periods, she was saying, sit down, kids, sit down. And when she increased the number of times to say sit down, the number of kids that got up and moved around doubled. Isn't that amazing? And so the, the final week of the experiment, they suggested this, that she refrain entirely from saying, sit down, kids, and just begin to compliment the kids who remained in their seats at their desk. And instead of saying, sit down, kids, you know you're not supposed to be up running around, they just complimented, she just complimented the children that remained at their desk and the number of kids that got up and moved around reduced 33%. Now, what we've been looking at for the last three weeks is a man saying we need to grow up and mature as a Christian. Now, how do you get mature? How do you reach maturity? Is it somebody saying you're just a baby and you need to grow up? I mean, we, we, we mentioned in our study of this when we went through it the first time, that there is nothing, in, you know, it's not a more severe indictment than somebody say to you, you are not acting your age, you need to grow up and act your age. Uh, how much better would it be for somebody to say, I know you want to grow up, and I'm excited about the hunger I see in your heart to be everything God wants you to be. So that following one of the strongest blast negative indictments by this writer is the following that is the strongest affirmation found in the book of Hebrews. And I know that we have to blast before we can build, but encouragement after censor is like sunshine after rain. I want us to go back into the rain just a minute that's falling down here uh, symbolically and see what's growing on, going on. The author of the book of Hebrews is saying, I want you to grow up, and then he follows that by the most severe consequences. As a matter of fact, he said, if you don't grow up and mature as a Christian, you may become so carnal in your Christian life that the Lord will not permit you to repent, and all of your fruit as a Christian will be destroyed and you'll stand before God without any reward, without any fruit. And then he stops blasting and he starts building. And this is what he says. I want to, you to know that I have the greatest confidence in you that you're going to make it. Parents, you need to listen to this. Point out their mistakes I'm speaking to myself as well. Point out their mistakes. Reveal what they're doing wrong and what they should be doing about it. Discipline where discipline is necessary and needful, but don't forget to affirm. Could your child have said this? I... Twice I did well, and that I heard never. Once I did ill, 
and that I heard ever. In other words, what I hear from others is two times as more often do I hear the negative than the positive. Could your child ever, could your child have said that about you? Now, follow with me as we study this passage together. Verse 9 begins in tenderness. He said, Beloved, the uh, Living Bible has it, Dear friend, the J.B. Phillips paraphrase has it, You whom we love. He said, You, and, the, and it's the third person plural, you all, really, if he were if he, he, he from the south, you know, south Israel, you all, he said, every one of you who read this epistle, you are loved. I want you to know that you are loved. And as he looks out over the page that he's writing and remembers these people to whom this letter will be sent, he says, I have confidence I am convinced that every one of you will be moving in the direction of spiritual maturity. I just believe better things for you. And the use of the pronouns in these, past, these verses is suggestive. As a matter of fact, the first three verses of chapter 6, he uses the first person plural pronoun, let us and we will, etc., in verses 4 and 5, he uses they or those. And in verse 9, he uses you, third person plural pronoun. Now this is what he does. He said, now we ought to grow to maturity and let's do it together. And he puts himself in that position. And then he talks about these who have fallen away, whose fruit will be lost, and he calls them them and they and those and puts them in a category over here and then he talks about better things and spiritual maturity and he lumps the whole group together and he just says, I know that you're going to blossom and bloom. Affirmation. Now how could he make such a statement like that or how could he believe that that's true? Was he just blowing smoke? You know, sometimes when we affirm people, we may not really mean it. Did he really mean it? Was he just flattering or blowing smoke? No, in verse 10, he tells us how he knows, how he's convinced it's going to be. Because he said, your labor of love. Because I know your labor of love. I know that what you're doing, your ministry, is because of your love for God and for others. And the thing I like about this, now listen to me carefully, the thing I like about this is that he remembers the good they did. He remembers the good they did. Now there are a lot of these folk who are spiritual babies, but they, everybody has some good in his life, and he remembers that. Not only does he remember the good they did, but he remembers, the, he recognizes the good they're doing. And the point is that he did not focus upon the bad they did, 
or the things they were not doing correctly, he recognizes the things that are right about them and affirms that in them. And he says, God will never forget your labor of love. I wonder how many folks are out there in the fields who will never hear applause, who just need to be told, listen, I recognize your labor of love and I want you to know that God will reward you. I wonder how many folks are like that. Um, I wonder tonight if, if there's anybody who would dare get on the telephone sometime this week and just call up that Sunday school teacher that's labored in that, ministered in that Sunday school class that, that you know and just, just, you know, I just want you to know that your labor of love does not go unrecognized and I want, to, I want you to know I love you for that. Or those parents or that spouse what you're doing in my home day after day, week after week, in making my life uh, rich and happy and content and, and your care for my children, I want you to know that I recognize that that's a labor of your love and I appreciate that. Will James said that the deepest principle in human nature is the craving to be approved. He said it's not just a desire to be approved, it's a craving to be approved, to know that people recognize what you're doing and see it as a value. I believe that the, that the drive for approval is the taproot of the soul that every child is born into the world with a craving to be approved and accepted. And they just send that taproot down and what happens if it hits a brick wall when they want the approval and the acceptance of their parents? It just glances off and goes somewhere else. And a child is going to fall in with the people that approve them or accept them. And that peer pressure is a part of that is they're finding approval and acceptance somewhere and that's where they're going to, they're going to zero in and latch on. Marian Anderson, the black singer, was asked one time, what, what, is the, what was the most thrilling moment, what is the most thrilling moment of your life? There could have been a lot of answers. She could have said it was the time when Toscanini told me that my voice was the greatest voice of this century. She could have referred to the private audience, the private concert she had at the White House with the Roosevelt's or in the, in the Buckingham Palace with royalty of England. She could have mentioned the $10,000 Bach Award that she received for the person having contributed the most to her hometown, which was Philadelphia. She could have men mentioned Easter Sunday when she performed at the Lincoln Memorial to 75,000 people, including Supreme Court justices and cabinet members. But when she answered, the greatest thrill of my life was when I could walk in and tell my mama that she didn't have to take in ironing anymore. Well, she said, my mother taught me what it means to love myself and accepted me, believed in me, when nobody else knew anything about me. I tell you, there is a craving on the part of every person to have that acceptance and that, that approval, that affirmation from somewhere. 
Now, there's a tremendous balance in this uh, passage. I mean, it's not all just lay back, you know, and be bragged on, although that doesn't hurt. But there's a tremendous, there's a responsibility on our part. In fact, he says in verses 11 and 12 that every person has a threefold responsibility. Let me just mention them. One, he said to show diligence in, in ministry, to hang in there in ministry. Secondly, don't be sluggish, that is, don't be slow to respond. Shoot for the stars. And third, you know, let me say parenthetically, I mean, you know, just because somebody's going to affirm you doesn't mean you can be satisfied with mediocrity. Shoot for the stars. And third, he said, keep your eye on the goal and have enthusiasm and patience in, in achieving that goal. Now, save some time for application because I think there's a tremendous application to be made. In fact, there are four applications. We'll get these and then we're through. Number one, we need to stop limiting our comments to others' weaknesses. Now there are times when we must discipline and the answer is not never saying no. Now there is a, there is a, a kind of a goofy, in my opinion, uh, teaching that you're never to say no. It is not Never saying no. That's not the answer. There are times when we must discipline and every person must know that there are parameters. If he steps out of bounds, he's going to be penalized and there are bounds. But we must not limit our relationships to that. We must build up as well as saying no or disciplining. Secondly, you've already uh, anticipated it, let's start focusing on other strength. Let's start focusing on others' strength. In other words, we have a God-given responsibility to encourage one another. Did you know that? You have a God-given responsibility to be here in the house of God. You have a responsibility to, to, to uh, uh, witness, etc. But you also, and I have, a God-given responsibility to encourage others. And we need to be as anxious to praise as we are to criticize or to find fault. Third, let's forget the dark side that we know about others. Let's forget the dark side that we know about others. You know, there's something wrong with a person who knows more bad about another than he does good. Forget the dark side. When a person, you know, one time I, 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 a man came forward in a, in a worship service and, and repenting and, 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 and giving his life and rededication to the Lord. And you know what I expected the next week in the, in the community? Is the people just rejoicing and so glad about that. You know what I heard? Oh, yeah, well, let me tell you what I know about this guy. You know. Fourth, let's remember the brighter side. Now, that involves two things. Listen carefully. 
There is no substitute for the personal touch. There is no substitute for the personal touch. Folks, there is a place in life for hugs of affection. I mean, we don't treat, we, we treat our dog better than we do our children or our spouse. You, you know, you, when, I, when I get to the back gate, my dog is there waiting for a pat. In fact, my dog has learned that if she rolls over on her back, I'll scratch her stomach, you know, with my foot. And I, I, don't, I can go out in and out to the backyard ten times a day, and when I come to the back, you know what I do? I give her a little scratch. Now, I started not, <laughs> I started not to mention this because I know what you're thinking. <laughs> yeah. But the point is, and where we stop, you know, and, you know, well, good to see you there, you know, freckles. And, you know, give her a little rub on the ears and, you know, and a little pat. And, and they walk in and never touch our children. Never hug them. Never hug our spouse. Howard Maxwell tells about the man who every night his daughter brought him a book and wanted him to read a story, good night story. And so he did, same old story, every night, you know, took his little girl, set her on his lap, read the good night story. And he thought, I know a better deal than this. So he recorded that good night story, you know, on a tape. And that night she came in and, and he just handed her the tape player and the tape and sent her off to her room to listen to her good night story herself. The next night, she came in with the book and handed it to him. He said, now, I gave you the tape in the tape recorder. And she said, yes, but I can't sit on its lap. And there is a place for the personal touch Let's look on the brighter side. That is, let's find ways to communicate that love. Second aspect of this, the person, listen to this, oh, this speaks to me. The person is always more valuable than the things around him. The person is always more valuable than the things around him. Charlie Shedd is a famous Christian psychologist in the field of uh, marriage and, and sexual relationships, etc. Works for Word Records. He said when he, was a little, when he was a boy growing up in Iowa, his daddy was teaching him one day how to drive. And he said, I had a death grip on that steering wheel and we were out cruising around out in the country and everything is going great. And he said, Daddy got me. He said, now we got to pull up now and get a little experience on the superhighway. And he said, I eased up on the superhighway, scared to death. And he said, cars were whistling by in big old trucks when you were blowing us off the highway. And he said, I was just hanging on there scared to death. And he said, I kind of peeked out of the corner of my eye. Dad was over there just smiling, you know, kind of grinning. And his dad said this, Charlie, if they knock off our, <laughs> if they knock off our fenders and doors, 
we'll just get some news. There's not anything more valuable than our kids. And those folks around you there are more important than your yards or your job or your hobby. People are more important than the things around them. And you show me a classroom where kids are learning and they're growing, I'm going to show you a teacher who is affirming. And you show me a home where there's laughter and there's, there's happiness and there's, there's, there's health, emotional health, I'm going to show you a parents, parents who are affirming. I'm going to show you parents who think their kids are more important than their lousy jobs or their beautiful sofas. You show me a church where there is fellowship among people when we come together on Sundays. I'm going to show you pastors and staff members and Sunday school teachers who don't spend all their time finding fault with what you do or what you don't do. And so I want to remind us all that there is a, a crying need for the gift of affirmation, and it's rarely found among us. And I'm going to beg you to join with me to make it a special point, make a special effort to begin the ministry of affirming one another. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, that somewhere back years ago, somebody said to me, I know that you've got it all together. You're going to be somebody. I've got confidence that you're somebody special to me. And I'm thankful for the affirming of others in the past. Forgive me for being more critical than complimentary for finding fault quicker than finding worth and finding value, for finding it easier to point out the dark and the bad than to praise, to compliment, for failing to reach out and, and stroke and hug and touch and love, and for neglecting the people that mean the most in my haste to impress the people who mean less. Forgive us all of that censorious spirit that causes us to miss the great ministry of affirmation. Because I pray in Jesus' name. I wonder if there is a need tonight for one of these invitations, a response, personal response to salvation, to church membership, to rededication of life. Sometimes we need to do that publicly, sometimes we don't. And maybe you feel a need to do it publicly while we stand to sing.